Chapter 14 of The Spanish Brothers by Deborah Alcock. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 14 The Monks of San Isodro. The earnest of eternal joy in every prayer I trace. I see the likeness of the Lord in every patient face. How oft in still communion known those spirits have been sent to share the travail of my soul or show me what it meant. A. L. Waring It is amongst the perplexing conditions of our earthly life that we cannot first reflect, then act, first form our opinions, then, and not till then, begin to carry them out into practice. Thought and action have usually to run beside each other in parallel lines, a terrible necessity, and never more terrible than during the progress of momentous inward changes. A man becomes convinced that the star by which he has hitherto been steering is not the true pole star, and that if he perseveres in his present course, his bark will inevitably be lost. At his peril, he must find out the one unerring guide, yet while he seeks it, his hand must not for an instant quit his hole on the helm, for the winds of circumstances fill his sails, and he cannot choose whether he will go, he can only choose where. This lies at the root of much of the apparent inconsistency which has oft been made a reproach to reformers. Though Carlos did not feel this difficulty as keenly as some of his brethren in the faith, he yet felt it. His uncle was continually pressing him to take orders and to seek for this or that tempting preferment, whilst every day he had stronger doubts as to the possibility of his accepting any preferment in the church, and was even beginning to entertain scruples about taking orders at all. During this period of deliberation and uncertainty, one of his new friends, Fray Cassiodoro, an eloquent Jeremite friar who assisted Losada in his ministrations, said to him, If you intend embracing a religious life, Senor Don Carlos, you will find the white tunic and brown mantle of Saint Jerome more to your taste than any other habit. Carlos pondered the hint, and shortly afterwards announced to his relatives that he intended to go into retreat for a season. At the Jeremite convent of San Isodro del Campo, which was about two miles from Seville, his uncle approved this resolution, and none the less, because he thought it was probably intended as a preparation for taking the cowl. After all, nephew, it may turn out that you have the longest head among us, he said. In the race for wealth and honors, no man can doubt that the regulars beat the seculars nowadays. And there is not a saint in all the Spains so popular as Saint Jerome. You know the proverb, he who is a count, and to be a duke aspires, let him straight to Guadalupe, and sing among the friars. Gonsalvo, who was present, here looked up from his book and observed sharply, No man will ever be a duke who changes his mind three times within three months. But I only changed my mind once, returned Carlos. You have never changed it at all, that I wot of, said Don Manuel. And I would that thine were turned in the same profitable direction, son Gonsalvo. Oh, yes, by all means, offer the blind and the lame in sacrifice. Put heaven off with the wreck of a man that the world will not condescend to take into her service. Hold thy peace, son born to cross me, said the father, losing his temper at by no means the worst of the many provocations he had recently received. Is it not enough to look at thee lying there, a useless log, and to suffer thy vile temper, but thou must set thyself against me, when I point out to thee the only path in which a cripple such as thou could earn green figs to eat with his bread, not to speak of supporting the rank of Alvarez de Menaya as he ought? Here Carlos, out of consideration for the feelings of Gonsalvo, left the room, 
but the angry altercation between the father and son lasted long after his departure. The next day, Don Carlos rode out by a lonely path amidst the gray ruins of Old Italica to the stately castellated convent of San Isodro. Amidst all his new interests, the young Castilian noble still remembered with due enthusiasm how the building had been reared more than 200 years ago by the devotion of the heroic Alonso Guzman the Good, who gave up his own son to death under the walls of Tarifa rather than surrender the city to the Moors. Before he left Seville, he placed a copy of Fray Constantino's Sum of Christian Doctrine between two volumes of Gonzalvo's favorite Lope de Vega. He had previously introduced to the notice of the ladies several of the Fray's little treatises, which contained a large amount of scripture truth, so cautiously expressed as to not only have escaped the censure, but actually obtained the express approbation of the Holy Office. He had also induced them occasionally to accompany him to the preachings at the cathedral. Further than this, he dared not go, nor did he on other counts think it advisable, as yet, to permit himself much communication with Doña Beatriz. The monks of San Isodro welcomed him with that strong, peculiar love which springs up between the disciples of the same Lord, more especially when they are a little flock surrounded by enemies. They knew that he was already one of the initiated, a regular member of Losada's congregation. Both this fact and the warm recommendations of Fray Cassiodoro led them to trust him implicitly, and very quickly they made him a sharer in their secrets, their difficulties, and their perplexities. To his astonishment, he found himself in the midst of a community, Protestant in heart almost to a man, and as far as possible, acting out their convictions, while at the same time they retained, how could they discard them, the outward ceremonies of their church and their order. He soon fraternized with a gentle, pious young monk named Fray Fernando, and asked him to explain this extraordinary state of things. I am just out of my novitiate, having been here little more than a year, said the young man, who was about his own age. And already when I came, the fathers carefully instructed the novices out of the scriptures, exhorting us to lay no stress upon outward ceremonies, penances, crosses, holy water, and the like. But I have often heard them speak of the manner in which they were led to adopt these views. Who was their teacher, Fray Cassiodoro? Laterally, not at first. It was Dr. Blanco who sowed the first seeds of truth here. Whom do you mean? We in the city give the name of Dr. Blanco, the white doctor, from his silver hairs, to a man of your holy order, certainly, but one most zealous for the old faith. He is a friend and confidant of the inquisitors, if indeed he is not himself qualificator of heresy, one of the learned men who were appointed to assist the Inquisition, and whose duty it was to decide whether doubtful propositions were or were not heretical. I speak of Dr. Garcias Arias. The same man. You are astonished, senor. Nevertheless, it is true. The elder brethren say that when he came to the convent, all were sunk in ignorance and superstition. The monks cared for nothing but vain repetitions of unfelt prayers and showy mummeries of idle ceremonial. But the white doctor told them all these would avail them nothing, unless their hearts were given to God, and they worshipped him in spirit and in truth. They listened, were convinced, began to study the holy scriptures as he recommended them, and truly to seek him who is revealed therein. Out of the eater came forth meat, said Carlos. I am truly amazed to hear of such teaching 
from the lips of Garcias Arias. Not more amazed than the brethren were by his after-conduct, returned Fray Fernando, just when they had received the truth with joy and were beginning heartily to follow it. Their teacher suddenly changed his tone and addressed himself diligently to the task of building up the thing that he once destroyed. When Lent came round, the burden of his preaching was nothing but penance and mortification of the flesh. No less would content him than that the poor brethren should sleep on the bare ground or standing, and wear sackcloth and iron girdles. They could not tell what to make of these bewildering instructions. Well, some followed them, others clung to the simpler faith they had learned to love. Many tried to unite both. In fact, the convent was filled with confusion, and several of the brethren were driven half-distracted. But at last God put it into their hearts to consult Dr. Egidius. Your Excellency is well acquainted with his history, doubtless. Not so well as I should like to be. Still, for the present, let us keep to the brethren. Did Dr. Egidius confirm their faith? Well, that he did, Senor and in many ways he led them into a further acquaintance with the truth. And that enigma, Dr. Blanco? Fray Fernando shook his head. Whether his mind was really changed, or whether he concealed his true opinions through fear, or through love of the present world, I know not. I should not judge him. No, said Carlos softly. It is not for us, who have never been tried, to judge those who have failed in the day of trial but it must be a terrible thing to fail, Fray Fernando. As good a hideous did himself. Ah, senor, if you had but seen him when he came forth from his prison, his head was bowed, his hair was white. They who spoke with him say his heart was well-nigh broken. Still, he was comforted and thanked God when he saw the progress the truth had made during his imprisonment, both in Valladolid and in Seville especially amongst the brethren here. His visit was of great use to us, but the most precious boon we ever received was a supply of God's word in our own tongue, which was brought to us some months ago. Carlos looked at him eagerly. I think I know whose hand brought it, he said. You cannot fail to know, senor. You have doubtless heard of Juliano el Chico? The color rose to the cheeks of Carlos as he answered. I shall thank God all my life and beyond it that I have not heard of him alone, but met him. He it was who put this book into my hand. And he drew out his own testament. We also have good cause to thank him. And we mean that others shall have it through us. For the books he brought we not only use ourselves, but diligently circulate far and wide, according to our ability. It is strange to know so little of a man and yet to owe him so much. Can you tell me anything more than the name Juliano Hernandez, which I repeat every day when I ask God in my prayers to bless and reward him? I only know he is a poor, unlearned man, a native of Villa Verda in Campos. He went to Germany and entered the service of Juan Perez, who, as you are aware, translated the Testament and printed it, Juliano aiding in the work as compositor. He then undertook, of his own free will, the task of bringing a supply into this country. You well know how perilous a task, both the seaports and the passes of the Pyrenees being so closely watched by the emissaries of the Holy Office. 
Juliano chose the overland journey. Since knowing the mountains well, he thought he could manage to make his way unchallenged by some of their hazardous, unfrequented paths. God be thanked, he arrived in safety with his precious freight early last summer. Do you know where he is now? No. Doubtless he is wandering somewhere, perhaps not far distant, carrying on in darkness and silence his noble missionary work. What would I give, rather what would I not give, to see him once more, to take his hand in mine, and to thank him for what he has done for me? Ah, uh, there is the Vesper Bell. You know, senor, that Fray Cristobal is to lecture this evening on the Epistle to the Hebrews. That is why I love Tuesday, best of all days in the week. Fray Cristobal de Arellano was a monk of San Isodro, remarkable for his great learning, which was consecrated to the task of explaining and spreading the Reformed doctrines. Carlos put himself under the tuition of this man to perfect his knowledge of Greek, a language of which he had learned very little, and that little very imperfectly, at Alcala. He profited exceedingly by the teaching he received, and partially repaid the obligation by instructing the novices in Latin, a task which was very congenial to him, and which he performed with much success. End of chapter 14